In these winter months, consider TripInsurance.com to cover your next cruise investment. Buy direct from the leading insurers and save up to 40% or more on comparable plans from the other sites. Get a quote today and save from TripInsurance.com. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here, my friend. Coming up on today's show, Stuart Sheeran, the cruise guy from CruiseGuy.com, breaks down some of the decision, uh, decisions rather that the cruise lines have made over the past few months and what the landscape is starting to look like as we get into spring and the summer 2021 cruising season and will it even happen who knows at this point right also sherry laskin is here with cruisemaven.com don't forget we have our cruise radio news briefs monday through friday the three things you need to know either opposite of this channel just look for cruise radio news or uh, now in video form at the cruise radio youtube channel so i uh, look forward to seeing you over there as well all right sherry laskin with cruise news hello sherry hi doug So the U.S. is asking the Canadian government to help save the Alaska cruise season. That's right. So in an effort to salvage this year's Alaska cruise season, the U.S. House Transportation Committee has reached out to the Canadian government to try and strike a solution. In February, Canada issued an order to extend its ban on passenger ships from docking in any Canadian ports. And this order applies to ships in excess of 100 crew and passengers. And this ban currently extends through February of 2022. With the second season of possibly no cruise ships visiting Alaska, the 49th state is facing another massive loss of tourist and cruise ship dollars. So, for example, in 2019, almost $22 million in tourist head tax, or you can call it excise tax, was collected by the state from cruise ships. And despite the fact that the cruise lines have protested paying this passenger tax, communities that are inundated by, you know, thousands of day trippers use a portion of the money for port services and the clean up after the cruisers leave. So facing another season without cruise ships, smaller tourist dependent towns could face more business closures. So it's no wonder that the cruise lines and Alaska's government officials are rallying to find an exception to the Canadian port ban. How exactly does a head tax work? Is it however many passengers gets off in that port or how many passengers the ship brings to that port? From what I understand from having been in Sitka, Mm -hmm. it is everybody who's, when the ship docks, they have to submit a passenger manifest and that's how it's determined. That's what I was told. So it's a fee we pay to visit a certain port of call. Exactly. And I think I'm going to throw out a number. I think it's pretty accurate from 2019. It was the state received, not the individual cities, but the state received about $34.50 per person. And then they divided that up amongst the port cities. Wow. So the state made damn near, what, $40 million in a head tax in 2019. No wonder why things need to get rolling again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some some towns only collect like $8.50 per head. You know, they used to call that bed tax, but mm-hmm. it's really, it's, you know, it's a head tax or excise tax. Well, Grand Cayman, they're considering limiting the number of cruise ships. Yeah, at the beginning of 2021, Grand Cayman announced that it would not allow cruise ships to offload passengers until 2022. Then the Grand Cayman government added that when cruise ships do return, the amount of ships permitted to bring passengers to the island would most likely be reduced with the majority of tourists arriving into Grand Cayman by plane and staying for several overnights, the 
The island luckily isn't reliant on cruise passengers for their income. And without a pier for cruise ships to dock, some cruise lines are considering removing Grand Cayman from their itineraries altogether. Well, if that happens, Grand Cayman may not have to solve the problem of thousands of cruise visitors clogging the roads in town on any given day. Totally side note here, but what are your thoughts of building a pier in Grand Cayman? Yeah, and you know, it's a small island, you know, almost one circuitous road or three quarters of it anyway. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of what's going on in Key West, where they're trying, the people yeah. that live there are trying to limit the amount of congestion that arrives when the cruise ships pull into port. And it looks like the new Royal Caribbean ship is changing things up for this summer. Yeah, Royal Caribbean has decided not to debut their new Odyssey of the Seas in Rome this May. Instead, due to the overwhelming success of Israel's COVID-19 vaccination program, Odyssey of the Seas will have its debut in the port city of Haifa, Israel. With over half of Israel's population already fully vaccinated as of last month, the cruise line will require that all passengers ages 16 and up and all crew members will have had to complete their COVID-19 shots in order to embark on the new ship. From Haifa, Odyssey will set out on a series of three to seven night Mediterranean cruises with visits to several Greek islands and Cyprus. Royal Caribbean's HVAC system has passed an air quality test. Good news here. It has. So working with the University of Nebraska Medical Center, Royal Caribbean Group announced the results of an independent study on the transmission of aerosol particles through the ship's HVAC system. And again, that's the heating, ventilation and air conditioning. The study by the National Strategic Research Institute at the University of Nebraska was conducted in July of 2020 aboard Oasis of the Seas in conjunction with Royal Caribbean Group's Healthy Sail Panel. And their panel consists of prominent experts in medical practice and research, public health, infectious disease, biosecurity, and the hospitality industry. Their scientifically-based recommendations were outlined in a 65-plus page report that was submitted last September. The results of the study found that there was no detection of aerosols between staterooms with spaces only connected by the ventilation system, uh, like adjacent staterooms, and this was in both crew and guest quarters, indicating that the likelihood of aerosol exchange between adjacent rooms is very unlikely. Royal Caribbean Group is continuing to develop new scientific ways to improve the HVAC system to prevent the spread of COVID-19 when their ships finally do begin to sail again. The University of Nebraska, did you drive through there on your way home from Alaska? I did. I drove through on my way to Yellowstone last uh, summer and picked up a t-shirt at the truck stop. It says, you call it Nebraska, I call it home. And it's got the outline of the state. You know, like all the hokey th shirts out there. Every once in a while, I'll wear it and someone will say, oh my gosh, I'm from Nebraska too. Where are you from? I'm like, uh, I just got it from a truck stop out there. Every truck stop in every state has the same t-shirt. <laughs> I love stopping at truck stops on road trips. Anyway, closing out the cruise news here, give us a roundup of new cancellations because I'm sure there are some somewhere. Yeah, so this is a quick update. When the cruise lines plan to return to service as of right now, Royal Caribbean is aiming for May 1st. Carnival and Norwegian have June 1 planned as their start date. MSC North America is canceled until May 31st, and Virgin Voyages has canceled all cruises through June. Listener question comes from Scott. He returns on Oasis of the Seas on a Sunday. He wants to know if an 1130 flight would be pushing it. 
Well, hi, Scott. The answer is, in my opinion, with an 11.30 a.m. departure time for your flight, you'd have to hope to get to the airport by 10 a.m., which is what you had mentioned in your in your comment. And, you know, there's a pretty good chance you could make the flight, but you'd have to keep something in the back of your mind, a plan B, if you should miss it. The ship could arrive late. There could be customs issues. The CDC might even delay debarkation. And just getting from the port to the airport could be a problem if there is a thunderstorm or traffic delays. So, you know, I think you should probably ask yourself if the stress of rushing off the ship, trying to dash through customs and then get a lift to the airport, is it worth the savings? You know, back in the day, I tell people not to book a flight before noon. And if they said, well, I'm going to anyway, I always said, well, you better have trip insurance to cover a missed connection. And, you know, honestly, this really isn't a whole lot different conversation than determining what time you're going to fly to your cruise ship on embarkation morning. You know, a lot of people want to leave to 11 a.m. and arrive at 2 p.m. for a three o'clock boarding. So much can go sideways that you just can't predict it. So if it was me and I and I was rushing to get to the Amtrak station after a cruise, I know I'd start worrying about missing my connection about halfway through the cruise. So, yeah, you might be able to make it with time to spare. But you, I think really if the money issue is not, you know, the most important thing right now, just miss a few, you know, skip a few drinks if, that, if that'll save the money. And I would try to get a later flight if you could. Yeah. I mean, if you have TSA pre-check or clear, you probably could make it. But otherwise, I don't know. I mean, Cherry Miami is a crap show on Sundays trying to fly out of there. Like security lines are super long. You know, you have all these first time flyers. You have people getting off cruise ships trying to bring booze through the security checkpoint, slowing the line up. It's just, and not to mention customs on the ship or trying to get off the ship. I mean, mm-hmm. it depends how many customs mm-hmm. agents are working because the cruise line hires the custom agents per ship. So, I mean, Oasis probably has a lot. If I was traveling by myself, hell yeah, I would do the 11 o'clock flight, whatever it was. But traveling with a family or whatnot, I would probably, I wouldn't do it with a family. My personal opinion, again, everyone's different. True. And don't forget, you've got that tunnel now, too. Then that can have a backup in there. Yeah, there was an accident in that thing uh, trying to leave once going to the airport, actually. And uh, yeah, got a little delayed there. Yeah, a little nerve wracking. Just a little bit. All right. We've been talking with Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com. Thank you so much, Sherry. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Doug. You're listening to Cruise Radio, the trusted voice of the cruise industry. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. 
top industry stories from around the world and how they'll impact your next vacation every weekday morning on Cruise Radio News. going to talk about a few cruise topics here with a guy who has his feet firmly planted in the cruise industry. It's America's most quoted cruise expert, Stuart Chiron from CruiseGuy.com. Hey, Stuart. Hey, Doug. How's it going? Good. I hope you brought your crystal ball with you because we have some questions. Oh, let's go. All right. So Canada recently extended its cruise ban to Canadian ports. What impact does this have on Alaska cruises? And I guess more importantly, where should the blame be placed here? Canada? Well, actually, Doug, no. The blame reverts back to the CDC. So you have the congressional contingent, if you will, you know, trying to see if we can get a waiver to the U.S. Passenger Vessel Services Act of 1886, and it really doesn't matter. One, it's like three months too little too late. They should have, they should have been thinking about this months ago, ways to you know, try to ensure that the Alaska cruise season goes forward. So you know, waivers and this and that and is, is really just nothing but deflection at this point. It's not, it wouldn't help because the problem is the CDC. The ships cannot come in and out of U.S. ports. There's some really onerous restrictions and demands that the CDC was placing on them that we're not seeing uh, the successful operations of ships, let's say, in, in Europe that were uh, being utilized. So we're still a ways away from from this from uh, occurring. And because of that, Alaska essentially was, think of it, Alaska was on life support. All Canada did was they just pulled the plug. But uh, the, the real blame at the end of the day really just reverts back to the CDC. Let me ask you this, though. Carnival Corporation is opening some of their lodges this summer. Now, I realize this is just going to be a fraction of how many people normally go to Alaska, but is this a case where something is better than nothing? Well, in this case, what you're bringing up is great news, that um, several of the lodges that are owned by Carnival Corporation and operated by Princess Cruises and Holland America Line in Alaska are going to be opened, which means that so a lot of people, when they do the, the cruises between Anchorage and Vancouver, they can spend some time visiting areas, you know, let's say, between Anchorage and Fairbanks, as an example. And so they'll spend anywhere from three to, it could be up to 14 nights, visiting different areas of the interior of Alaska, which is very different than the coastal towns, let's say, of Juneau, Skagway, you know, Ketchikan, Sitka, that people would visit on a cruise. So after the cruise, people would then you know, board these trains that would take them to the Kenai Peninsula. You'd go to Denali. They have the Mount McKinley Lodges, and then you get up into, into Fairbanks. So you, know, you get up into the national parks, and you know, they have the fishing trips and you know, salmon bakes, and they have a lot of excursions on the interior of Alaska that you would not be able to see during the cruise, which is why so many people do that. So essentially, with these lodges open, I mean, there's a possibility that they might be able to get maybe 100,000 or a little over 100,000 people to get up uh, into Alaska uh, this summer, which um, really won't do much good for the, the coastal towns that I mentioned, but it'll still employ you know, a lot of people that, that live in Alaska with a way to you know, keep these, these cities and towns operating the lodges and the tour buses so and here you get a chance to experience the outdoors of alaska and and all the the beauty that it has uh you know saint elias national park is an example 
you couldn't imagine what 13 and a half million acres of nothing looks like, but it's, it's just gorgeous. It's a nice way to, to be outside, spend time with friends and family, obviously wearing masks, social distancing, etc. but uh, being able to do so and, and also save a, a lot of American jobs. Yeah, for sure. Let's, uh, let's switch gears here. In October, we saw the conditional sale order outline from the CDC, which was basically guidance for cruise lines to return to sailing. What exactly is the technical guidance from the CDC that should be forthcoming and how, I mean, at this point, do we know how it will differ from the guidance issued back on October 31st? The conditional sale order that, that you mentioned that essentially was provide at the end of October. So we're talking, it's been over four months since we've heard anything from the CDC. So keep in mind that one, it was just a partial route back to sailing. Uh, There's no way, I mean, all the cruise lines could have completely uh, adhered to every point on there and still not been able to sail because it was only, let's say, two-thirds of, of, of the piece of the puzzle. So, uh, and it didn't include the uh, decipher code. So, Really, it was you know call it an extension of the you know the the no sale order. They just called it something different to appease certain people, but there was no way they could sail based on what was outlined. What they're waiting for now is the final pieces to this puzzle and the decipher code, so this way they can begin to prepare to resume sailings. I know you don't have the answer to this, Stuart, but in this guidance, could we possibly see something like, hey, every cruiser will have to be vaccinated? It's possible if it is put in there, but, you know, I would tell you, you know, that, uh, look, you know, a lot of this stuff that they're talking about is, is, you know, it's kind of make you feel good. They could put anything in there, but what we need is a clear roadmap in order to get the ships, you know, to to be allowed to resume operation. I mean, essentially, we're holding up a lot of the economic recovery around the world with just this. The airlines are waiting. The hotels are waiting. I mean, the hotels and airlines are operating, but their biggest customer, which is the cruise industry, is sitting on the sidelines. And until the guidance and everything is is discussed, negotiated, reviewed, and implemented, the cruise industry can't move off the dime at this point. And speaking of the cruise ships starting back up, you're down there in the Miami area, Port Miami. We keep seeing a lot of cruise ships going in and out of port on the Port Miami webcam. Surely this is a good sign and things are moving in the right direction because, you know, a few months ago we weren't seeing anything come into Miami. What happened, Doug, is, you know, and a lot of the ships are back. I mean, right now, I mean, there's there's about, uh, I don't know, 35 ships that are just west of Harbor Cay in the Bahamas. And then they take turns coming in and out of Port Miami, Port Everglades, Port Canaveral, and, and also Jacksonville. So they'll sit at Anchorage. Then you know they may run their uh, engines up and down the Florida coast a couple days a week to refuel and reprovision. They'll then come into port and then get the supplies, refuel, and then head back out. And unfortunately, they they do a cycle. What had happened, you know, for a period of time, you know, let's say over the summer, is a lot of these ships left to repatriate non-essential crew members to their various home countries around the world. And that's why we saw a lot of the ships leave, not to mention, you know, they left because of some of the conditions that uh, the, the CDC was placing on them, and uh, they, they just didn't want to have, you know, such, you know, rigorous conditions for them to be in, in, in the area. But the cruise lines, you know, were, were prepared. I mean, NCL, if you recall, back in December, I mean, they were in the process thinking that, we'd be able to start sailing hopefully in December, January, or February. 
And uh, so they were actually recruiting several of their ships uh, in preparation of that. And then it became unlikely, and then they had to repatriate those crew members again. Let's talk about Key West. Uh, ships are still scheduled to call there, even though they kind of voted against ships this past November. But now some cruise lines have recently revealed new itineraries, and they still have Key West on the itinerary route. If you're sailing to Key West, could the plug be pulled on that? The answer is yes. And uh, remember, the cruise lines have the right to alter the itinerary at any time for any reason without any compensation due to passengers because of a schedule change. But uh, there is legislation that is currently ongoing in Florida to essentially overrule what Key West did because it does negatively impact other areas. For example, in the Keys, the people in this Tony Island of Key West, they didn't take into consideration what other people in the Keys would have liked to have had. So essentially, they're preventing people that live on other islands who either work or own businesses, you know, from being able to enjoy their life, liberty, and right to uh, earn a living, as an example. So there's there was a, quite an uprising in other Florida cities that uh, want to prevent something like this from occurring. It's like, uh, you know, you have ships that are coming into Port Canaveral from New York and, and from Baltimore, and it's, it's like uh, Port Canaveral saying that you can't go outside of Brevard County attempting to keep everything within there and away from, let's say, Orlando. So in the Keys, for example, I mentioned there's other, there's other commerce that would be impacted as a result of this. And so the state is looking at how their ruling could negatively impact other port areas like Tampa, Jacksonville, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and Canaveral. And, uh, you know, and, and just essentially, I guess, do the right thing. But, I mean, you couldn't say this is a vocal minority thing, right? Because, I mean, it passed in the election. Like, people okay. voted for it. People voted for it. It was 12,000 people. Okay. Those 12,000 people are essentially usurping the, a larger majority of people that live in other communities. And um, it, has, it has far-reaching impacts beyond Key West. Speaking of those Key West itineraries, uh, what are your thoughts on short sailings slash private islands becoming the new trend for the foreseeable future? Well, I think what's going to happen, Doug, is, you know, again, just, just you know, looking into the, the crystal ball here, that I think we're going to wind up having shorter sailings with, you know, fewer ships to start with. I think we're going to probably wind up and hopefully we'll have the uh, cow jump over the moon and that the planets aligned. So if we're looking at maybe the earliest time period of maybe late June, early July, I think what we're going to wind up having is we're going to have cruise ships from only three to four cruise lines with two to three ships each operating with reduced capacities and shortened itineraries of three to five nights. So to start, we'll probably have Port Miami and Port Canaveral uh, which were previously designated by several of the lines where they want to operate from, mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense. If these ships and sailings can prove successful based on whatever protocols are finally implemented, then at some point they'll then be in to expand from the shore cruises, you know, back up to the maximum with the CDC levied, which was seven nights. And then, then they can take the seven night schedules and, and then also operate and in other ports, let's say adding Galveston, maybe Tampa, 
you know, Jacksonville, and then, you know, hopefully, you know, back up to New York and then move west and start getting some of the West Coast ports open. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take some time. And this is why Alaska 2021 at this point is going to be highly unlikely because they have got to get those test cruises and short sailings under their belt, not only, you know, with the test passengers, but also with regular revenue passengers so that there's enough confidence that the protocols and procedures are successful and they can expand it. But uh, until that's done, I mean, we're not going to be able to, you know, get anything and, and go anywhere until these shortened sailings. I think people are going to be, you know, certainly very eager to begin to plan some cruises for later in, in 2021. People are going to be very understanding. I mean, some of the early sailings, Doug, may only, they may just have technical calls at the private islands and then expanding into regular calls where then, you know, people can just actually get off the ships and enjoy the private islands. And if those prove successful, then they can maybe add other islands like uh, Nassau and Freeport, and then maybe possibly then, you know, go into the Caribbean, uh, you know, visiting other ports, you know, Cozumel, Mexico, as an example, St. Thomas, maybe into Jamaica, and, uh, and then just continue to add more destinations and then more ships sailing in the Caribbean, and then they can expand it to other destinations in regions around the world. So we know that Royal Caribbean is opening up Barbados sailings later this year, and people have kind of kicked around maybe doing cruises from Cozumel. Doing things like this, does that kind of go against the CDC, or is it not even a big deal? I don't think so, Doug, but I mean, Cozumel, for example, Carnival Cruise Line specifically tried to begin sailings off the coast of, you know, using Mexico as a starting point years ago. Mm -hmm. And the uh, hoteliers rose up in mass and strongly opposed it because the cruise passengers would be taking away airline seats from their uh, hotel guests. So that proved to be uh, a, a bad idea. The cruise ships need to be where there's a lot of airlift. And really, from the United States, people don't want to have to deal with immigration and these you know, extensive lines of traveling internationally. So that's why we really need a U.S. A US port. But, you know, Barbados, you know, work good for residents from, you know, other countries. There's a lot of people from the U.K. that, that vacation there. There will be U.S. passengers that would be willing to fly down to Barbados just to, to go for cruising, but it's not, a, it's not a long-term fix. Yeah, gotcha. Well, we haven't seen technical guidance from the CDC yet, so we don't know when the test cruises are going to start sailing at the time of recording. So what does a potential for summer cruises look like? Well, unfortunately, at this point, not good, because these test cruises have got to go. So, you know, again, if the guidance is, is provided anytime soon, and hopefully they can there be room for and open for negotiations to discuss best procedures, then we could be, you know, looking at probably the fall if these test sailings start in like June or July, then we're not going to see, let's say, seven-night cruises, you know, happening to normal destinations on normal itineraries until the fall at the earliest, because they're going to have to run, you know, a month or two with these shortened itineraries before they can, you know, move things around, reschedule. They have to get these, you know, the, the crew members quarantined. They have to get them on the ships, then they have to get them retrained. It's going to take uh, you know time. I think uh, the president and CEO of NCLH, Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, said it's going to take about 90 days from when they say 
go to be able to get the first ships in, in operation mm-hmm. and then you know get those sailings going while at the same time bringing in crews to recruit the other ships and get them quarantined and trained and then get those other ships in operation. You know, a lot of the lines, Doug, may start with, like, for example, Celebrity Cruises. They're going to use Celebrity Apex, which is a brand new ship that uh, came out, believe it or not, it's a year old and it's never had a passenger on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll use that ship for shorter sailings on Celebrity, and then they'll bring in other ships and then move Celebrity Apex onto some of the seven-night sailings and substitute it with one of their other ships to do some of the shortened sailings once that ship is recruited and ready to go. So it's, it's going to take some time. But once, once that happens, then I think we're going to wind up seeing a snowball effect where they're going to be able to get a lot more ships back into operation at a much faster level than they did with the initial ships that they'll get at the very beginning of these test cruise period. Well, there's one thing we can say in closing. We're a lot better off now than we were 12 months ago. Actually, no, maybe not. Uh, 11 months ago. Well, I mean, we know a lot more about COVID than we did, and there's a lot of uh, excellent protocols. There's a lot of very good science and technology. Hotels are operating, but it is important, Doug, to understand that, you know, we know that, look, there's COVID in hotels, there's COVID in airplanes. They're running a lot safer than they did a year ago, and we have to realize, look, I mean, it is inevitable that even if you know passengers are vaccinated, the crew's vaccinated, nothing's foolproof. Nothing's 100%. It's going to be a combination of various protocols and procedures and the technology that will make cruising safer. But unfortunately, you know, COVID-infected passengers will inevitably get on board, and it's how the cruise lines can mitigate the situations, minimize the inconveniences and the disruptions that will make the difference. And with the COVID situation so volatile, and there's no definitive sailing dates, it makes no sense to really discuss protocols and procedures at this point. Well said. We've been talking with Stuart Chiron from CruiseGuy.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at CruiseGuy. Stuart, my friend, as always, thanks for stopping by. My pleasure. Anytime. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.